Thank you, Jay. My name is Tom Shirk. I'm on staff at Calvary. <clears throat> and I'm not normally here, but I'm happy to be here today. If we haven't met, I'd be happy to meet you. I was sure that um, those old school songs that we sang were in my honor being old school. <laughs> I, I guess that's probably what we were trying to do there in part, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm delighted to be here. I love what God is doing in, in, at Calvary Bible Church, and in particular here at Erie. Um, we study the Bible together. We open it up and read it because we know God wants to speak. His word is active and living. We have confidence that when we open this word, we actually hear from God. He wants to speak to us today. He wants to speak to us because uh, we need the authoritative word from God to us. We wouldn't know. We would not know what God wants for us apart from this. So we need it. And we turn to it and pray that it will guide and shape our lives. And so if you have your Bible, I hope you're open with us to James chapter 1. Or you have your journal. Your journal will help, but I'm going to share some other scriptures that will support the two verses that we're going to look at this morning. There are no more frightening words in the Bible than these. Depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus spoke those words as a warning to people who might think that they were religious or that they were known to God, they knew God, but he didn't, God didn't know them. Their response to those words were, didn't we do all these things in your name? I didn't know you. That's a frightening picture, isn't it? Especially when we come to this text, which is saying to us, verse 22, be doers of the word, be doers, be doers. And while I want to say that the Bible recorded in James for us, the word of God from James, does activate our faith to action, all of our action is rooted in faith in Jesus that then gives birth to a kind of life. Because no one is saved by doing, correct? We're all saved by grace through faith in the work of Jesus. We are all imperfect but we have a perfect Savior. So if you came to church today and you're feeling imperfect, this is a good place for you. If you're feeling like you have a lot of failure in your life, this is a good place for you to listen to the Word of God because if you're broken by failure, I, I think God wants to speak to you. If you've been living in sin away from God, I think He wants to speak to you. And if you're on top of the world because you think everything's going great, I think God wants to hear you say, thank you, God, for every good and perfect gift comes from you. So you're in your text, and we want to look at this text in a way that will help us. So we're rolling out of this earlier section, verse 22. We don't want to be forgetful hearers or deceived people. And so in verse 26... This theme is continued again, if anyone thinks he is religious, 
but doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This person's religion is everybody. Wow, can you imagine having a religion that is worth less? It's, it's worth nothing. And this is a call from James to say, I, I want you to think about your faith. Is it real? Is it true? And there are signals that it is or it isn't. That's the point of this text. Now, I want you to see in verse 26, I circled in my journal, in my Bible, the word religion, religious. And then again in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled. It won't be on the screen, but if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers show no partiality as you, I circled, hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those three phrases, religion in verse 26, religion that is pure and undefiled in verse 27, and hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 1 of chapter 2, I think go together. Remember, there really weren't chapter divisions in the original writing, so this is a flow. So he's talking about a religion, a religion that is pure and undefiled, and you're holding your faith in the Lord Jesus. I think what it means when he says, if you have religion, it's synonymous with chapter 2, verse 1, you hold a faith in Jesus. Now we think of religion as being the external manifestation of something that is um, a, a religious effect. And religion is external activity, it's ritual, it's ceremony, it's a kind of uh, activity that we do, but in the, in the right sense, Jesus, uh, James is saying that if you have a religion and if you have a faith in Jesus, then it's going to manifest itself in a certain way. And we don't want to be those who are deceived, we, we want to be people who really are self-aware. Have you ever met someone who wasn't very self-aware? sad, isn't it? We want to be aware. My faith is, is worth something. It's real. And then here comes the convicting part. There's three ways that you can tell whether your faith is real as James is looking at it. It's not the total picture, but it is a, a glimpse of three pictures as to whether or not you hold faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that has been transforming, that he's working in you and shaping you. So not surprisingly, verse 26 says, if anyone thinks he's religious but doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. That person's religion is worthless. So the first signal is our words. Can you bridle your tongue? I wrote words next to verse 26 in my journal. If you say you have faith, if you say you have faith that's pure and undefiled, but in your tongue you are unloving, always critical, lying, gossip, cursing, your religion is worthless. Wait, 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 wait. You don't mean that like totally, do you? That's what James is saying. It's like your words are like a light on the dashboard that tells something that's going on inside the engine. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 15. 
he called the people together to him and he said to them, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Because out of the abundance of the heart, everybody, well, you don't know that? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's going on in my heart is reflected in my words. And Jesus said, it, it's, it's not what you eat or drink that really defiles you, but what comes out of you that defiles you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Later in the same chapter, verse 18, he, Jesus in verse 17 gives a little biology lesson, and, and he says, don't you see that whatever goes in the mouth passes through the stomach and is eliminated? Okay, biology 101 from Jesus. And then he says, verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what will defile a person. So what both Jesus and James is saying is that the words that we speak are a reflection of the inward reality of our heart. It's convicting, isn't it? By our words, we'll be judged. Every careless, thoughtless word will be accounted for. That's very convicting. So I want to encourage you, and just turn in the right to your Bible to chapter 3 before we go on. Chapter 3 and verse 2. Won't be on the screen, but here's what chapter 3, verse 2. We're going to get back to the our words in the tongue in a couple weeks. For we all stumble in many ways. Everybody said, yeah, we're sad to say we all stumble in many ways, but that's real. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is what kind of a person? He's perfect. So I think the Bible acknowledges this. What comes out of our mouth in our words, in our language, in our speech with each other is a reflection of what's going on on the inside. And it's never perfect because our words trip us up all the time. I remember this as a young boy. I, I came to know Jesus when I was 11 and I went to a little church, a little Baptist church in Connecticut where I grew up and we started going to church every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday. I was there all the time, and there was one great man in the church who was, you know, a great leader, and he was also sort of the building manager, and I remember being at the church on a Saturday morning, and he was in the boiler room, and he was working on something in there, and I was outside, and I heard a big clank, and then a string of words that I never heard in my house. And I just sort of backed up and I thought, whoa, that's Sal in there. And I think, that ever happen? I'll tell you what. Um, I grew up in a home where my father never, I never heard him swear. My mom once in a while, but never my dad. And, and consequently, um, I usually don't. My son, oldest son, came home from college and at the age of 22 
I was, we were together, my older son and my younger son, 22 and 14. And my older son said to me, Dad, I, I really respect you. I can honestly say I have never heard you swear. And my 14-year-old said, oh, I have. <laughs> I said, oh, no. You have? He said, I said, when? Oh, you were out in the garage. <laughs> he said, where's all this stuff come from? Anyway, I was convicted. And I'm not a perfect man. But I do know this. What comes out of the mouth is a reflection of what's going on in the heart at that moment. And if you say you have a religion and a faith, then the monitoring of words, lying, gossip, slander, criticism, uh, all, all those things are a reflection of that. Paul said to the Ephesian church in chapter 5 and verse 4, a little code that we used to use in college called E54. If you want a little code for your house, here's a code for E54, Ephesians 5. Let's read it together. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. That's Paul's way of saying the, the mouth is a signal. It's like a light on the dashboard that goes off that says what's going on on the inside. The true test of a man's religion is not his ability to speak in public, but his ability to bridle his tongue, to keep her lips, to, to guard the words, because it's simply a reflection of what's going on on the inside. Now, why is that a reflection of true faith that we would monitor and sort of our, our words would reflect? Is because on the inside is where true faith takes root and it's where the Holy Spirit lives. So religion can't restrain words, but the Holy Spirit can. Real faith is from God's implanted word in us, his spirit living in us. And, and that's the first signal. Now we're going to get into that in chapter 3 in a greater way, so we're going to move on unless you have questions. It matters, right? How are words? And by the way, words hurt. They hurt relationships. And God's a healer. God is gracious in his, to give us his word. Our words matter. It helps in the congregation that there be no filthy talk or no gossip or no whispers. That, that just makes sense because we belong to him. All right, verse 27 has the second two. Number two and number three, verse 27 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So I would say that the second mark that is a reflection of religion that is real and worth something is a compassion, a practical compassion. Pure and undefiled religion, it's just repeated again, and pure and undefiled means that they're synonyms of a holy kind of a faith, a genuine faith. This is what God wants. 
And it's to show compassion to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, orphans are helpless. They're without a mother or a father. They are left at the mercy of others to care for them. They are the ones that we would say they are the least of these because they are absolutely helpless. Why would God tell his church that a real kind of faith is a faith that cares for the ones who cannot care for themselves because that's what God does for us. He, he cares for us in this way, orphans and widows. The word to visit them is not just to go and say hello or drop by. It means to really care for someone and to help them in whatever they need, to oversee them, to watch over them in the way that God visits his people and he shows up in their life and he acts on their behalf when he visits his people. And this is what Jesus had in mind in Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 and 36, when he said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you, there it is, you, you visited me. You came to me, you cared for me. That's Jesus saying that when I was in prison, you, you came to me. The neediest people in the church are those who cannot care for themselves. And a true kind of religion sees those who are the least those who are most unable to care for themselves in the way that they might need, and to do that. The Bible tells us that father of the fatherless, protector of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. That's who he is. And there was a huge warning in the Old Testament that said, cursed to be anyone who perverts justice due to the sojourner, to the fatherless, and to the widows. And all the people said amen. It's like, this is our life. We have to care for those who cannot care for themselves. So caring for the orphan and the vulnerable and the marginalized, I would say the refugees and those of special needs, is what reflects a religion that is just in line with the heart of God. So let's think about the stories that are true of Calvary Bible Church that we have said over and over again. This weekend there was a men's gathering and I, I was glad to see, you know, over 120 men of the church gathered together to talk about our life together in faith and where it shows up. There's a ministry at Calvary called Men of Action. And the men of Calvary circle up and then every month go and visit and care for widows of our church, which is a prescription in the Bible that the church is required to take care of widows. Now, not every widow needs to be cared for in this way, but those who do need to be by the men of the church, and it's happening. In fact, we have more men who say, I want to help in the men of action than we have people who are asking for help. So get the word out. You know, if there's anybody in need, that's the ministry of the church. Orphan care is a part of the ministry of this church. A number of years ago, we had Compassion International here, and we invited you to come be a part of adopting kids, many of them overseas, and sponsoring them and caring for them for their educational needs. And 200 members of Calvary, 200 families adopted kids around the world and are caring for them to this day. We want to do that. 
We have three teams in our church right now who are caring for Afghan refugees, and I, I love seeing that happen. Our Heart of Advent giving in December created an opportunity for us to care for kids in our own school systems in Boulder and Erie and Thornton who are falling behind because they don't have the resources. In every way that we possibly can, we want to care for those who are the least, who, who are the, have the hardest time caring for themselves. That's the ministry that says, my faith matters. In Boulder, there, there's a homeless shelter that we're a part of. There's a domestic violence center that we're a part of. And we entered into the domestic violence ministry or social service in Boulder called SPAN, and they were very skeptical of us getting engaged with them because of our theological perspectives that differ from theirs. Eventually, through many acts of service, they've welcomed us in as a trusted partner. So much so that they have asked some of our ladies to be counselors for their ladies there. And we have a van that goes and brings people from the domestic violence center in Boulder who come to church each Sunday. And that's the ministry of the church that translates into helping people who are in the place of greatest need. In fact, because that's what God does. If you need to, if you know someone in need, I hope you'll let us know. There's a card in your seat in front of you that if you want to be a part of one of these ministries, that's what we want to do because this is what we would say is true religion, right? And the last is also in verse 27. Verse 27 says, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So I would just say these last two go together. There is a compassion for others and a personal purity. So it's my words, it's my compassion, and it's my life of purity that is a real signal of what's going on inside of me. Verse 27 says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is a continuous action and a commitment. Those who are God's pursue holiness. We sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And so his people are too. We, we want to pursue that in our life as well. Now the verse says, to keep oneself unstained from the world. How does the Bible, how does the Bible define the world? Well, the world is basically... Uh, used in the Bible most often to represent sinful humanity, humanity without God, fallen mankind, and all of the spiritual influences and systems and values and morals of a people without the Lord. Jesus said, the world hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. And when the Bible talks about the world, it's a world system that is rejecting God and saying that the truths about God recorded here, they don't want to live under. So we live in the world, right? This is really our world, a world that is anti-Christ, anti-God. Paul said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, the world before you came to know Christ. But then you came to know Christ in a genuinely transforming way, and now you're living in a different kind of way. And so there's a sense in which being in Christ with a real saving faith 
means there's a separation in my life from this world, right? So keep yourself unstained from the world. How does the world stain us? How do we let the world imprint, touch us? Ooh, this could get convicting, right? Any of you have a TV? Okay. I mean, that's a big window into the, the values of this world that can influence our lives. All of the messages, I, I've said in Boulder, we, we have a lot of college students in Boulder, I've said over again the last several weeks, the messages that this world is giving are so contrary to the messages in this book. And yet true religion says, I keep myself unstained from the world. Is that even possible to be unstained from the world? Well, Paul said to the Colossian church in Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world. The influences of this world can take us captive to ideology and not theology. There's a lot of ideology out there now. It's what's separating all of the world. We don't want to be guided by ideology. We want to be guided by theology. That what has God said, and that's what we want. And so there's something that needs to be sort of removed from us. In John, 1 John 2, John wrote, Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Oh, get that? Loving this world and loving God is going to be a conflict all the time. And truth says, I get God and the world he's leading me to, I get this world, it's often in conflict. To the best of my ability, one of the signs of my life in Jesus is there are certain things that I, I stay away from to not be stained by the influence of this world. That's hard because it's everywhere. What is in the world? The next verse in 1 John 2 says, all that is in the world. Do we go to that? Let's see, 1 John For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, lust of my flesh, lust of my eyes and the pride of life are not from the Father but are from the world. And the world's passing away but everyone who does the will of God, everybody, abides forever. See, there's a demarcation of a life that if faith is real, certain things are true. It's convicting. It can be measured in my words, it can be measured in my compassion threshold, and it can be measured in my pursuit of holiness, being removed from those things that are of this world and not the world to come, and we have to live in the world. It's really a challenge. But my heart is that I, I want to say, well, what, what the Lord wants me to pursue, that's what I want to pursue with all of my heart when these things are colliding together. Now I want you to see how two things fit together um, in these last two marks of genuine faith. There is compassion. We might sometimes call that, well, our, our gospel to help, our social gospel. We really want to help people. Is that right? Well, over the years, a lot of churches have said, 
God put us in the world to help the least of these. And so we need to just close this and put that over there and take care of the needs of people. And a lot of churches have done that. They have moved to help the social needs of people, which is admirable. But you can't close this, right? And then there have been other churches who have said, oh, we need to keep this open. And we need to be pursuing holiness in the fear of God. So let's all huddle up together and study the Bible. And then you go home and stay safe. It's a crazy world out there. We'll meet back here next Sunday and we'll study the Bible. And they've closed off that. You see what James is saying? James is saying, here's true faith. To visit orphans and widows and the least of these in their need and to pursue holiness in the fear of God. And these are, these go together, right? It's not this gospel or that gospel or this one but not that one. It's Jesus full of grace to people in need and pursuing truth as he is. Make sense? Okay, if anyone does not bridle his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. True religion and undefiled is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself unstained from the world. How's your faith? You can measure in some way, is my faith real? And it's perilous to have a faith that isn't real. And James is just saying, we, we want to be doers of the word. We, we want this to be true of us. I've worried that by saying, oh, these are the three marks of the Christian life, you might say, one, two, three, check, check, check. It, it, it's not all of that because he's, He's got another one that flows out of it next week. And we're going to come back to that. It's really a, a big life in Christ that we want to show the reality of our faith. So, I only want you to leave worried if your faith isn't real. And if your faith is real, I want you to leave really assured. The Bible says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't want you to worry that you don't have faith. I just want you to look and say, when God says this is what real faith looks like, it's easy to say, oh man, I, I need to draw near because my words are not reflecting what I want in my heart. My compassion threshold is is too low and Jesus loves the least and I've been getting a little compromised in the things I'm looking at reading and I feel like the world is influencing me if that's happening in your heart this morning you're in the right spot because Jesus is the perfect savior for imperfect people like us 
So let's come to him and pray that he'll strengthen our real faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we pray that our faith will be rooted in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And that we would never trust in our own ability. We, we know that we're saved by the grace of God. And yet, Lord, we want the faith that we hold in our Lord Jesus Christ to be real enough to reflect the truth that you are who you say you are. So I, I pray for all of us. As we listen to these words about real genuine faith, that you would just kindly lead us along. If you need to just abruptly stop us where we are today and turn us around, Holy Spirit, I pray you'll do that in whatever one of these areas or other that you've spoken to us. And we would ask, God, that your work would come to our hearts. Just challenge our faith to trust in you. And our only response this morning is we, we want to stand up and say to you, take my life, Lord, let it be for you. Let it be holy, let it be consecrated, let it be surrendered to you. And Lord, I, I just pray you'll begin to transform us more and more into the image of Christ. This is what we pray for, for your glory and ultimately for what will be our joy as we walk with you. Strengthen us, God. And call us to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together.